What's the first thing you'd do if you had more time in the day? Take a nap? Read a book? Talk with a friend? When you know what's important to you, it's easier to fit it into your schedule. Therapy can help you figure that out. BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy that comes to you. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Writer's Voice today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Writer's Voice. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Allegra Goodman read her story, The Last Grown-Up, from the February 27, 2023 issue of the magazine. Allegra Goodman has published two story collections and seven novels, including Catterskill Falls, which was a National Book Award finalist, The Chalk Artist, and most recently Sam, which came out earlier this year. Now here's Allegra Goodman. The Last Grown-Up She heard their footsteps on the stairs, water running in their bathroom. She sensed her daughters everywhere, but it was just her imagination. They were gone. Of course, they would come back. They were safe, and it was just till Sunday. It wasn't death. It only felt like that. Her friend said, now you can rest. You can think. You can work out. Theoretically, she could have done those things. She could have been thinking and going to the gym and resting. But when the girls left with their father, Deborah sat on the couch and cried. Which was fine. Crying was good. Divorce was hard. All she had to do was call, and her sister Becca would come right over. But Deborah didn't want sympathy, so no one saw her tears except the dog. Max was a Samoyed and pure of heart. If anyone was injured, he came running. When Lily fell headfirst from her bike, Max had rushed to lick her better. But where was Deborah hurt? She couldn't explain, so she buried her face in his white fur. Eventually, Deborah got up and preheated the oven to 425. She poured a bag of frozen shoestring fries onto a cookie sheet. A sprinkle of salt, a dollop of ketchup, and that was dinner, which she ate right on the couch. It wasn't good for her, but she was listening to her body, and her body said, Who cares? She called her parents down in Florida, and her mom said, Hi, honey, how are you doing? I'm okay, Deborah said, balancing her plate on the arm of the couch. Ed, her mom said, Deborah's on the phone. Deborah's dad picked up and said, What's new? Our paperwork is finished. It's finalized? Her mom was disbelieving. It had been so long. Done. She could hear her parents mulling what to say. The paperwork was done, and it was weird and painful, like picking off a scab, because the marriage itself had ended two years before. Well, that's a relief, her mom said. 
But Deborah's dad spoke in the voice he reserved for his deepest disappointments. All right, that's that. I'm wondering, Deborah's mom ventured, should I take down your wedding picture? Cindy, her dad chided. You've still got that picture up, Deborah said. Her mom sounded embarrassed. I was just... Deborah said, it's fine. Either way. You don't mind? Why should I mind a picture? Deborah asked, although in retrospect, she thought her beaded gown unfortunate. I have the whole album. You look at your album, her mother said, gasping. No, but I'm not going to get rid of it. The girls might want it. I'm not erasing history. Silence, and she knew that her mom was gazing at the photo in its gilt frame. You look so happy. I was happy, Deborah said. And Richard was so young. Yes, Mom, he was young. Deborah almost laughed, and then she felt guilty for mocking, even inwardly, because how could her parents know what to say? How could anybody? What clueless things would Deborah tell her own daughters? They were in 10th and 7th grade, and obviously a million years from marrying, let alone divorcing. But if they did, would you admit the truth? Deborah asked herself. Would you say, this was not what I imagined? This was never what I hoped for you? Deborah took out the trash and picked up a package by the door. New earbuds for Sophie, who had lost hers. Then she took Max out to romp and sniff and chase his rubber ball in the backyard. The girls never set foot here anymore. At 16 and 13, their days of racing and foraging were done. But Max never outgrew anything. You need a yard, Maxie. Yes, you do. She threw the ball and he streaked off, untiring. Did he wonder where the girls had gone? Deborah was sure he missed them, and she was glad he didn't know it would get worse. In just two and a half years, Sophie would leave for college. Lily would follow, and then what? Deborah didn't want to sell the house, but could she and Max afford to stay? Would he even live that long? Oh, no. Admittedly, Deborah tended toward the worst-case scenario. It made Richard crazy because she was always, as he said, fast-forwarding. But she had foresight. She prepared. She planned meals and vacations, scheduled lessons, pre-registered for summer camp. Slow down, Richard would beg her. Cut back. Get help. Of course, he never considered helping. When they fought, he said, but you insist on doing everything. This was true. No one had ever told Deborah to stay home and do everything. That came from her. Nothing compelled her but her conscience and her common sense. When the girls were babies, she gave up free time and exercise. When they were older, she gave up her job, because two people could not work the kind of hours they did and see their children while they were awake. And because she wanted to eat real food. And because she did not want to outsource every single aspect of her life. And because those were years you could not get back. And because she hoped someday to return, if not to law, to something new. Education? Social justice? Counseling? Together, Deborah and Max examined icy puddles under the girls' old climbing structure and green slide. It was exhilarating to think of all the possibilities, how she might teach or advocate for immigrants. But when she thought of Richard, she saw his future as domestic. He would remarry. It was obvious to her, to everyone. He was already living with his girlfriend, Heather, who was smart and beautiful and sane. The girls adored her. Deborah approved. As for Richard, he was better than he'd ever been. Eating healthy, losing weight. The girl said he'd stopped sneaking cigarettes. 
Good for you, Deborah had told him a few days earlier. Yeah, I'm doing it, Richard said. She looked at him with sudden insight. He was taking the plunge. The paperwork was done. You're going to propose. He looked startled. I meant quitting. Oh, I'm sorry. I wouldn't propose without talking to the girls. He was reddening around the ears. She nodded. That's smart. We want them to be, yeah, she said, comfortable. We want it to be natural. They'll be ecstatic, she encouraged him. Thanks, he said. A sweet moment. A really good exchange. I was proud of us, Deborah told her therapist Suzanne the next day. Truly, she was happy for Richard and relieved that he was done dating women half his age. Heather was someone Deborah could work with, someone she could respect. It was a good thing. It was the right thing. And at the same time, she knew that Richard's remarriage would sting. The greater good would be another loss. Does that even make sense? She'd ask Suzanne. Totally. What can I do about it? Do you always have to do something? Suzanne answered. And Deborah sighed, because she knew that sometimes there was nothing to be done with feelings but to feel them. There was nothing to be done about her ex-husband and his new relationship except to watch events unfold. Deborah understood all that. She was good at therapy. If only Richard and Heather would hurry up and get it over with. That evening, Lily called from Richard's place. Guess what, she said, and Heather's heart leaped. This was it. What, Deborah said. We're making pizza from scratch. Oh, we should do this sometime, Lily told her. Okay, sure. Deborah heard laughter in the background. Mom, we have to get a pizza stone. We have one. But it broke, Lily reminded her. We should get another one. Okay. Then after dinner, we're getting gelato. That was when Richard and Heather would tell the girls. Except they wouldn't tell them. They would ask. They would sit together, the four of them. And Richard would say, girls, we have a question for you. Or Heather would speak humbly. I will never replace your mom. But I want to ask you if I can be on your team and support you forever. Or they would say together, girls, we have a present for you. You don't have to wear them all the time or ever, but we want to give you these necklaces. Deborah could imagine it every which way. The squeals of delight, the delicate gold chains, everything sensitive and meaningful. Richard would be kneeling, or Heather, or both of them, and there would be hugs and happy tears. Have a wonderful time, Deborah told Lily now. Let me know how it goes. Bye, Mom. Love you. Lily always said goodbye like that, and Sophie too. Love you, they chirped on every occasion, even when they called to say that carpool was late. Love you, love you, until the words meant nothing. They might as well have said, talk soon. Where did that come from? Summer camp? It irked her, although it didn't bother anybody else. Plenty of parents spoke to their kids that way as well. Becca declared, I always say love you to my kids, because who knows what could happen? What if you were hit by a bus? Wouldn't you want your last words to be love you? Deborah said, not if it's just habit. Love you, killed by a bus. The whole thing made her sad. She walked through the empty house. Then she vacuumed the first floor and cleaned the girls' rooms. The kids won't learn to clean up after themselves if you do it for them, Richard used to remind her. He had been scrupulous about telling the girls to do whatever task Deborah required. Do as I say not as I do. She shook her head and picked up laundry from the floor. School clothes, leotards, balled up tights. 
Lily's rug was sea green, Sophie's fluffy white. She'd said she wanted white like Maxie's fur, and that's what she got. Her rug was furry and it shed. Legos used to disappear in it. What was that caught in the white shag? An earbud right at the foot of Sophie's bed. And there was the other one. Deborah almost called to say, I found them, right after the new ones were delivered. But she resisted. They'd be at the gelato place by now, finishing up, driving back to Richard's condo. Deborah expected the news any second, but nobody called. How was the gelato? She texted at last. Good, Lily texted back. When the girls returned, nothing had changed. Richard and Heather were not engaged. Deborah had been fast-forwarding again. Have you ever had cherry amaretto? Sophie asked. Is that what you got? We tried Heather's. Deborah tried to picture Heather with a fruit flavor. Heather seemed more cookies and cream. It was weird, Lily said. But nothing else seemed strange to them. In fact, they were lighter, happier than when they'd left. Trust Heather, a trail runner and a hiker, to leave kids better than she'd found them. The girls hugged Max, went up to their rooms, and did their homework. Even Lily, who worried at night, did not seem sad at all, and curled up in bed with her book about girls learning to be witches, or possibly princesses, at boarding school. And life was good, and it was ordinary. It was school, and ballet, and groceries, and dinner, and pre-algebra, and world history. And the next weekend, Deborah had the girls, and she made waffles. All was calm until the following Thursday. Then Richard came in and played with Max while the girls were dragging their bags downstairs, and he said in a low voice, Deborah, I have to tell you something. That was a bad sign. Go out to the car, Deborah called to the girls as Richard started pacing. He forgot Max completely. What is it? Deborah asked. Well, he began. Is it Heather? Yes. She froze. Were he and Heather breaking up? Now? Now that the girls were used to her? Had he really screwed up this relationship already? You didn't. Didn't what? He shot back, instantly defensive. Richard, what's going on? He hesitated for just a second, and then he said, We're expecting. Wait, what? The words didn't even register at first. We're expecting a baby in January. But I thought you were... You aren't even... Aren't you getting engaged? We're planning to. And when are you going to tell the girls? And when will you get married? I want to ask about telling them. I mean, it's good news. She took a breath. It's a lot of good news at once. Exactly. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm just, I was just surprised. We didn't want to wait too long. Wait, she thought. You didn't wait at all. Lissa, who? Heather's sister is having a terrible time getting pregnant. Deborah stood there bewildered because why were they talking about Heather's sister's infertility? When are you getting married? After the baby. Okay, she said slowly. She had foreseen engagement and then marriage, not an instant family. He said, are, are you worried it will be weird for the girls? Well, yeah, because you think it's wrong to have a baby first? No. She wasn't going to be the bad guy, the moralistic one, the evil fairy at the christening. She realized something now. The king's first wife. That's who the evil fairy would have been. But that wasn't Deborah, not at all. She just needed a minute. She had never imagined Heather in a rush, or Richard so nervous and so glad. 
and she felt a pang hearing his good fortune. Once upon a time, Deborah had wanted a third child, but Richard had objected, and she had listened. It's just so much at once. That's why we want to talk to them. The front door opened. Dad, Sophie said. Lily called from the open car. You're taking forever. He called back. One second. Let's figure out a plan, Deborah told Richard. Great. He was speaking in that cheerful tone he adopted when the kids were near. Deborah said, team meeting. The three of them met at the abandoned luncheonette. Richard sipped kombucha, and Deborah had black coffee, and Heather had nothing. Why don't you try the water, Deborah suggested, and Heather smiled. She appreciated Deborah's sense of humor. Of course she did, because she was perfect, even if she looked a little pale. How are you feeling, Deborah asked. Eh, Heather said, and Richard took her hand. She's a trooper. Richard could have been talking about Lily, but Heather didn't seem offended. Deborah asked, are you going to find out whether it's a boy or a girl? They spoke at the same time. I think so, Richard said. I'm not sure, Heather said. Well, either way, Richard said. Deborah interjected, but you're going to tell the girls that you're expecting. Of course, Heather said. Richard said, we have to. Here's a thing, Deborah told them, and now she saw Richard getting tense. He hated hearing a thing. I think you should get engaged first and then let a little time pass before telling them about the... I think it's important for them to know that we're all in this together, Heather said. Exactly. That this is forever, Heather said. Deborah said, right. As for Richard, he said nothing. He would do what Heather wanted. He who had insisted he could not handle a third child. This was different. Deborah understood that. This wasn't a third child born into their old family with their old wars. He and Heather were a new beginning. This was in the way of things that women had their babies and they stopped, while men lived like starfish, constantly regenerating. I love the girls so much, Heather was saying. I want to include them when we get engaged. I got that part right, Deborah thought. Heather said, I want to dedicate myself to them. You're great, Deborah thought. You really are. And at the same time, you've no idea. Parenting times three? The sleepless nights ahead, the tantrums and book reports and standardized tests and the million ways that kids in middle school are mean? Heather said, we'll write a family proposal. Thank you, Deborah said, and meant it. I think that will be wonderful, she told Heather, because why scare her? And the new baby would be beautiful. She envied Heather that, although she was grateful for the daughters that she had. I'm glad we did this, Heather said when they were walking to the cars. Richard hugged his future fiancé's shoulders. He kissed her ear. And Deborah didn't feel alone at all. She didn't mind watching. She just felt like the last grown-up on earth, as she called after them. I'm glad we're all on the same page. The next weekend, she was forewarned and forearmed. She had in her possession a folder with a proposal. Heather had sent it, so Deborah was like the press corps with the full text of the speech the president was about to give. And better than the press, she had printed two copies on archival paper. Even as her daughters were off listening to Richard and Heather pledge their troth, Deborah was sitting at the kitchen table framing the documents so that each girl would have a copy in her room. Family proposal. We propose to be there for each other every day. 
to respect differences and appreciate each person for who they are, to make sure everyone in our family is seen and heard, to honor each other's feelings, to be on one team. Deborah's phone was ringing. It was Lily, and she was on speaker. Deborah could hear Sophie and Heather and Richard in the background talking as Lily shouted, We're engaged! Mazel tov. And we're expecting, Sophie added. Oh, wow, Deborah said automatically. So much for letting a little time pass. That's so great. Mom, Sophie said, you already knew, didn't you? I can neither confirm nor deny, Deborah said. And she heard Heather saying, ha. This is so great, Deborah repeated. This is really, really wonderful. She said it, but her body ached, her arms, her legs, her heart. It's going to be a girl, Lily said. Deborah said, they told you? Lily just wants it to be a girl. That was Sophie's older sister voice. The phone was ringing over there at Richard's place. Deborah could hear it in the background. Sorry, it's my parents, Heather said. Mom, hi. We should talk to them, Richard said. And we need to make dinner, Heather reminded him. Crashing sounds and laughter. Heather's voice, yes, we're here with the girls. We all propose to each other. Okay, I have to go, Lily told Deborah after a minute. Love you. Everyone was happy. Everyone was young. As for Deborah, she was relieved. She was actually glad that Heather and Richard had shared all their news at once. She almost wished they'd revealed the gender too and named the baby and that their perfect child was in school and Richard was showing just how involved he could be the second time around. I have so much more patience now, he would say, as older parents always did. I am so much calmer. Deborah wished it had all happened already so she didn't have to watch. In the twilight, she got the leash and took Max for a walk. The earth was damp, the grass tender. The neighbor kids were biking up and down the street, looping in parabolas. She stood watching as she called her sister. Hey, she said. Immediately, Becca said, the deed is done? Yep. And how was it? It was great. It was beautiful. Were you there? You sound like you were there. No, I wasn't there. I heard from the girls and they also know about the baby. I thought Richard was waiting to tell them. Apparently not. I thought you had that big meeting. We did, and Richard sat there agreeing to everything. There was a pause, and then Becca said, He's just bad. He isn't bad, Deborah said numbly. Yes, he is. He's inconsiderate, Deborah said. That doesn't make him bad. Whatever, Becca said. You can call it what you want. He blindsided you. No, Max, Deborah called. He was straining at the leash, barking at a beagle. He's getting violent, Deborah told Becca. I have to go. Max isn't violent. He is, he is a thing about little dogs. Deborah was maligning her own sweet Max just to get off the phone. Hey, Deborah, it's okay to be angry, said Becca, who taught creative movement. You can scream. You can dance it out. Deborah pulled Max across the street. Yeah, I don't think I'm in that kind of shape right now. No, anyone can do this. Listen, it takes two seconds. Plant your feet. Deborah planted her feet on the sidewalks as Max looked quizzically at her. Breathe in and tighten your whole body. Make fists. Uh-huh. Then open your hands. Release your breath. Let go. Deborah opened her left hand because she was still holding the leash in her right. She exhaled. Then she said, let what go. 
The whole thing. Oh, I can show you some other ones, Becca said. That's just a mini ritual. Anyone can practice that at whatever level. Just try it whenever you feel the need. Thanks, Deborah said. Will do. She took Max home and let him run around while she sat on the girl's old swing. He was looking for his ball. Several times he ran up as if to ask, where did it go? Max sniffed her knees. He wanted her to hunt, but she said, I can't, Max. Sometimes you have to rest, you know? His ears pricked up. He could detect even a hint of sadness. It's okay. It will be okay. I promise. You keep looking, and if you still can't find your ball, I'll buy you a new one. And then as soon as I buy a new one, the old one will turn up. Max buried his head in her lap as she said, I don't know why it happens. It's funny, right? But that's just how it goes. That was Allegra Goodman reading her story, The Last Grown-Up. She's been publishing fiction in the magazine since 1991. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction Podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Claire Sostanovich reads The Moons of Jupiter by Alice Munro. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice in Apple Podcasts. The Writer's Voice is produced by Michelle Moses. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening. <laughs>